Welcome to the Meaning and Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Fermar, and today we're going to be reviewing the book, Dear Parent by Magda Gerber, as well as comparing some parenting philosophies, including Rye Parenting, Montessori, Attachment Parenting, and Charlotte Mason, as well as a little bit of Hand in Hand. I know it's hard for us as parents to make choices about our parenting philosophy. I've had friends that come to me and ask, how do you decide? When things conflict, it just makes me want to hide in the sand and not look at any of it. And of course, things do conflict. And as you'll see from our book review today, this is one of the parenting philosophies that I'm not that on board with, but it doesn't stop me from going ahead and reading it and figuring out what about it I like and what about it I don't like. I'll be discussing a little bit about what is consistent between all these philosophies and some things that we can do that seem to be agreed upon by all involved. Our book review for today is Dear Parent, Caring for Infants with Respect by Magda Gerber. Now, this book was actually not one that I really enjoyed. I got this book while I was pregnant and I was reading a number of other parenting books. It's really important to me to be the best mama that I can possibly be. So I wanted to get all the answers as to what I could possibly do to be the best parent out there. So there were some things from Dear Parent by Magda Gerber that I didn't quite uh, agree with. That includes no baby wearing, no mobiles, only offering the breast when you're sure that they're hungry, letting the baby cry it out or sometimes cry to sleep, and not putting them in tummy time. Now, Janet Lansbury, who's a descendant of Magda Gerber's philosophy, does have some really great things. I've read her book, uh, Unruffled, as well as No Bad Kids, and there is some really great advice in there. So if you're interested and you're struggling, I would say that's something you can check out. And again, you know, you can take what you like and leave the rest. You don't need to adopt everything and you don't need to adopt anything or you can adopt everything if that speaks to you. But basically for a couple reasons, I felt that baby wearing was important. One is that I'm sort of a, I guess like a paleo mama. So anything that's done or has been done traditionally makes me feel like it's a good idea. There's a story from a book that I've read from as a professional, as a massage therapist called Job's Body. And in that book, he discusses two uh, African tribes who haven't had contact with the Western civilization. One of them wears their baby constantly and, you know, they're fed on cue and all these things. And the other carries them in like a wicker basket and smacks them on the face. Now, I mean, that is an extreme situation, but the tribe that smacks their babies on the face are like cannibals and they're very aggressive and like angry people. And the one that wears their baby constantly, they're like happy, loving, you know, cuddly people. Who knows, you know, chicken or egg, what came first. But for me, the feeling that like, in a traditional setting, you might be wearing your baby or handing them off to, you know, a grandmother or aunt or other women around who are there to hold your baby and just make them feel comfortable most of the time. That's kind of what I feel is appropriate for a baby. Meg Gerber wrote another book called Your Self-Confident Baby, and I also read that one, and I also disagreed with a lot of it. And the primary thing is I just feel that when a baby is crying, um, that you should believe their cry. I'll talk a little bit about attachment parenting in a little bit, but basically the idea is that babies cry because they have a problem. And so the idea is that you should try and maybe fix their problem. And sometimes just being sad is a problem. And if I'm crying and sad, like I want someone maybe not to tell me like, don't cry, don't cry, all those things, but just to hold me and rock me or like, you know, pat my back and 
give me a hug. Those things feel good. And so I think we should do the same for my baby. So that's just my personal philosophy. So that's one of the things I disagreed about, about in uh, Dear Parent by Magda Gerber. I've also been a big fan of Montessori, as you saw my second podcast was about Montessori. And one of the things about Montessori is that she's big on these mobiles. And the idea is that you're catching them right when they're developing that frame of eyesight. You know, you'd have a black and white mobile right away and then uh, the gradations of color or the, or the oxyhedrons. I may do a podcast later on about infants in Montessori because the podcast I already did was more about toddlers and just Montessori philosophy in general. She's basically saying that you can help your child. You sort of catch them at that phase of development right when that capacity, you know, they're getting the capacity to see color and you help them and encourage them to be able to see more fluently right away. So that's again like a Montessori philosophy and in Magda Gerber's philosophy, the idea is, okay, they just came out of the womb. They've got to adjust to the real world and you want to let them do that at the pace that is happening naturally. So you're just going to let them look at what's around them. You're going to let them look at the light reflections that already exist rather than imposing anything on them whatsoever. And again, while that sounds great, I just think that a baby obviously can't see that far. And so maybe giving them something of visual interest in their eyesight to me makes sense. Um, also, as a mother of a now five-month-old, offering the breast is something that, you know, I do regularly when my baby's upset. It's a tool I have, and I do think that that's something that's been happening for, you know, all of history is that a mother has tried to, you know, help her baby to stop crying by breastfeeding. I hope that this doesn't lead to some weird, like, obsession with food or compulsion. I have read that in books, and it has very much disturbed me when, you know, people have said that, you know, it could be that um, feeding them overly with the breast could cause an eating addiction later on. And that would break my heart. And that's something that <laughs> I would be worried about. But then again, like I do have eating problems and I was bottle fed and I was probably fed on a schedule. So I can't say that like I was fed too many times or something like that. And that led me to a food obsession. I think that was something that was developed later in life. So for that reason, I, I can't really agree again with um, not offering the breast early and not offering the breast for comfort. Again, uh, one of the things she says is go ahead and let babies cry it out. If you know that they, you know, don't have a wet diaper and they're not hungry and they're not tired. Tired is a hard one. Cause like if you're going to help your baby go to sleep, basically Magda Gerber is saying, don't help your baby go to sleep, teach them to go to sleep on their own, which I totally get. And that's a great idea. But when a newborn is newborn, Maybe they need some help and some comfort. And again, for me, like when I'm sad and I'm upset, I do like to be comforted. I don't just like to be left alone and just stared at. Um, they do, you know, recommend some quiet, just like observing time. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to knock it too much because, hey, maybe it works for some people. And if it makes the mom feel supported and calm, then that's going to be better for the baby. So that's kind of what I got, you know, in the big picture from these books by Magda Gerber is the idea that the mom is very supported. So if she needs to go and do some work, uh, like I'm doing right now, recording a podcast and leave her baby in a very safe space, like, you know, a very young baby in a crib or um, an older baby in like a very safe room that's been totally baby proofed, then that's fine. And so the mom is never giving her half attention. She's always, 
you know, either with her or not with her. And I think that's valuable in some ways. I wish that I could do that, but I just haven't really had the discipline to do that. So partly that's on me. Um, I'll have my baby with me, you know, and sometimes I'll be having to do some work while my baby's with me. So sometimes she does get that split attention. Hopefully she gets enough of full attention that, you know, she's feeling adequately cared for and also connected to me and all those things. So some great things that I loved about that book is that they recommended allowing the baby to fall asleep alone in the bassinet rather than being rocked to sleep. Uh, I haven't had the best discipline with this. I have been rocking my baby um, just because, again, I'm busy and sometimes I don't want to stay, you know, let the baby cry it out or anything. And, and I do um, hope that she goes to sleep quickly. The other thing is that my baby happens to fall asleep in a rocked position and then she will stay asleep sometimes for like six hours after having been put down. If you have a baby that's waking up right away all the time, that might be something you might consider is just go ahead and try and get them to fall asleep in the bed and then that way they'll stay asleep longer. So that's something she recommends. Meg Gerber also emphasizes the responsibility of parenthood. So just making that a conscious choice being fully present during caring activities. And that's something that we've tried to do as well. You know, not having the TV on or anything like that when you're changing their diaper, for example, and giving them a lots of independent playtime, setting up good boundaries and discipline, knowing the reason why you're uh, setting a limit before you set it. So the fact that you are actually like setting a firm limit, but it helps to have the reasoning worked out in your head. So it's not just a power struggle, but you have a reason for why you're setting that limit. Uh, another thing they recommend is not using sort of pedantic terms like good girl, which occasionally does slip out of my mouth and I try not to, but I understand that one for sure. It's like she's an independent person and she doesn't need me to be, you know, good girl, you know, she's doing things for their own internal intrinsic reward. And that's what I'm trying to instill in her. Another big one that I mentioned before is the idea of not propping children in a seated position before they can sit up on their own. And that has been a really challenge for me in part because, you know, the people around me, my relatives and things might prop her and I don't want to get involved in the relationship in a way that's detrimental. So I just, I don't personally prop her, but I you know, don't interfere too much if someone else is propping her. And the other thing is that, you know, in terms of sitting her on my lap or in, you know, a baby wearing device or something like that, it's like a big part of our culture of interacting with each other and looking at each other in the eye. I just think it's important for me that she is able to interact with us by sitting on my lap. So that is one thing that I do that was not recommended in Dear Parent, but I go ahead and did anyway. Okay, now let's talk about some parenting philosophies and how we make the choices that we make. So if you find a parenting philosophy that you just absolutely love and you want to do that, only that, you know, go ahead and do that. I think that's great if that connects with you and that makes you feel secure and safe as a parent because your comfort as a parent is going to make a big difference in your child's response to it. Uh, I have a friend who have asked me, you know, you read all this parenting stuff, how can you decide isn't it all conflicting? And then, you know, I don't even bother. And so that's kind of like our question for me, the community this week, which inspired this whole episode is that, yes, it, you know, things do conflict and you have to make choices, 
but I just kind of go back to what inherently clicks with me and feels right to me. Some of it is, you know, trial and error and that I'm trying it out and that didn't feel right or it didn't work with my child. Every child's different. And so some things might work with some children and not with others. Okay, in Rye, they recommend sports casting, which something which is something that I really liked. Oh, just in case you didn't know, Rye means resources for infant educators, and that is Magda Gerber's um, parenting philosophy, and the current main proponent of that is Jen Lansbury, and she has a couple of great books if you're interested that may help you if you know you're having troubles with your parenting challenges. So the idea, one idea from Rye is sports casting, and that's the idea of just validating their experience. So if, you know, you see a baby on the floor and you're going, ooh, you're reaching for that book. Oh, you picked up that book. Wow, does that taste good? So you're talking like that rather than saying, oh, good girl, you got the book. You know, so instead of praising and commenting and putting your opinion in there, you're just stating the facts. And I really liked that. Um, from a Montessori perspective, it's sort of similar. You would observe the child before making a correction. So if they are doing something and they feel confident that they can do it, we try not to intervene. So that's another kind of Montessori rye thing where they actually connect and, and uh, are the same. Then we have a couple of other things like mobiles. Um, Montessori is into mobiles, again, to try and... Uh, pick up on those peak learning opportunities, whereas Rye is saying don't introduce anything that intervenes in the child's uh, world too much or without their control. In both Rye and Montessori, the child initiates the learning, so you're setting up a shared space or a prepared space for them that is child-specific, and then you're letting them go ahead and find, you know, what they want to look at in there. So there's actually quite a few things that Rye and Montessori uh, agree on. And another one of those is that Rye emphasizes mindful presence and talking to babies in a normal voice. And Montessori actually recommends the same thing. So rather than talking in the baby voice, that you're talking in a normal voice and a respectful voice. However, that's kind of interesting because it is a little bit against what is shown in science. There are some studies out there that have shown that that kind of like parentees is what's what it's called the parent talk where you're kind of like oh sweetheart look you have a pink shirt like that kind of um silly sing-songy voice that that slow cadence and the high-pitched tone actually does get baby's attention and helps them learn a little bit better so it's interesting that some of these philosophies discourage talking like that and who knows maybe someday we'll find out that that science is wrong or maybe um, some of the philosophies will alter their views or who knows. Another thing that I found that they all really agree on is to allow the child to develop their sense of attention. So Rye puts a lot of emphasis on not interrupting childs during their play and Montessori, they call it work, but they don't re recommend, you know, interfering with a child while they're in the middle of their work. Cause if you go and even comment that they might become, uh, discouraged or disinterested in the task. So you really just let them follow their interest and let them uh, proceed with their goals as best as possible without interfering. Some other philosophies also agree with that. So Charlotte Mason is huge on developing the habit of attention as she would put it. So basically that's another one that seems to agree across all of the philosophies.
Another one where they agree is no forced sharing. So there is this idea and you can find some good YouTube videos out there. Uh, the Mellow Mama has a nice video on no force sharing as well as the Hidden Gem have some good YouTube videos out there. But the idea of letting the child who has the thing finish using it and not forcing them to share because the idea is, you know, in the real world, you wouldn't walk up to somebody and like take their phone and make them share it until they were finished. And then you would ask politely or, you know, if the thing is common and it's left all on its own, then you can go ahead and use it then. Another thing they all agree on is lots of outdoor playtime. So just allowing the child to really soak up in nature, to observe the sights and the sounds and the smells in nature. That's a good one from Montessori, from Rye, and from Charlotte Mason. They all recommend lots of great outside playtime. Charlotte Mason recommends up to six hours of outside playtime, and Montessori recommends that you have an outdoor little shed or house in your garden that the child can even sleep in if they wish. As I mentioned before, the idea of the totally prepared or safe environment is another aspect. So that uh, seems to be a case in Montessori, in Rye parenting. So basically the idea that you have a prepared space ahead of time that is sort of child-centered. So you have a, a child's space, maybe their room, that they can be in that's 100% safe. So basically the idea is that you're not, you know, following them around all the time saying, no, 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 don't do this, don't do that. You're letting them to experiment a little bit and uh, be able to be totally free in that space. So that means you have to, you know, totally secure the shelves to the walls, that you have only low furniture, that your plugs are all secure, there's no wires, no cords, nothing they can get into, and it's 100% safe space. So that's a yes space. So the idea is that you shouldn't be nagging your child all the time saying, don't do this, don't do that, no, no, no. But instead, you're just letting them be in that space. And in terms of like the Rye philosophy, they recommend a space that you could, you know, potentially lock yourself out of the house and the baby's going to be safe all day there. And that's a really great philosophy that did connect with me. So that's something I have implemented is that I made my daughter's room all low furniture. So I got rid of all the tall furniture. We're securing all the shelves to the wall so that she can be in there and I don't have to worry. I can go take a shower and hopefully she's happy in there not crying. But even if she did start crying, I knew that there's nothing in there that can really hurt her. So that is a safe space and a yes space. And that, that was actually just mostly for my own sanity. I knew that I didn't want a daughter who I was constantly nagging I knew I didn't want to have to worry about her out in the big space and I just wanted her room to be a secure space for her that I could put her in if I really needed to and she could be in there without my intervention. Another thing that seems to be consistent between all these philosophies is to be clear and consistent is kind. So that's a big one in say hand-in-hand -hand parenting, rye parenting, Montessori, so the idea is you're really clear about your limits. What are you going to be allowed to do in this space or with these materials and what is not allowed? And we're not punishing. We're not being harsh. We're just some things are allowed and some things are not allowed. And when they're not allowed, we set the limit and we set the limit clearly and consistently. Okay, so that's a lot of things that they do agree on. And now we'll kind of move on to some things that they don't really agree on. Before we get into some of the things that they disagree on, I'm going to go ahead and give you the seven B's of attachment parenting, which is sort of the other uh, end of the spectrum in terms of parenting philosophies. 
so these are the seven B's of attachment parenting developed by Dr. Sears. And these are birth bonding. So those are some of the things we talked about in the birth episodes, the idea of skin to skin contact and all those things right away. He recommends breastfeeding, baby wearing, so almost constant baby wearing. And these are some things that were done sort of traditionally in non-westernized tribes, maybe. Um, the idea that the baby is worn almost constantly and they're getting, you know, the breathing feedback and the vocal feedback and just like the movement feedback of being moved around when the mama moves around. And it seems to be very good for um, brain development. He also recommends bed sharing, uh, which is something we might talk about a little bit more later, but for now we'll just say bed sharing and belief in the baby's cry. So that's something I talked about earlier as well. Um, whereas crying means a need is not being met. So baby's crying for a reason rather than just that a baby is having an emotion and that we should let them cry it out. And then he recommends balance and boundaries. So of course, if you can find support and have someone else take your baby some of the time so that you can have some balance, that's good. And beware of baby training. So he recommends avoiding baby wise and anything that's training your baby on a schedule because babies just aren't that predictable and it's good to be flexible with our babies. So I'll give you a little insight into one thing that has actually been a struggle for me in terms of understanding this. So I've been on board with uh, the attachment parenting seven B's mostly and I have bed shared up until about four months and now we're moving her um, onto a floor bed and we'll talk about that in another episode. But one of the things that has been a struggle for me is the idea of believing in a baby's cry. So when a baby's crying, of course you want them to stop crying and you're kind of doing everything you can possibly think of. You're shushing them and you're rocking them and you're giving them pacifiers and distracting them. Well, I try not to distract my baby because I feel like that's a little bit manipulative, but you know, you really want that baby to stop crying because it just breaks your little heart. But for example, in hand-in-hand parenting, which I'm like 100% on board with, and I love hand-in-hand, I've mentioned them a few times in some of my earlier podcasts, the idea with hand-in-hand is that you should let your baby or let your child experience their emotion. So um, if they're having a tantrum, that's, you know, for a good reason, and you kind of sit with them, and you're there for them, and you let them connect with your brainwaves so that they can get back in control of their emotions or kind of onto a better brainwave. And so I really struggle with the idea of like how much to let my baby cry. When is she having, you know, a real need, for example, like needing to be helped to go to sleep. That seems like a need. And it's certainly a need that she needs me for. But um, at the same time, that could just be emotional. And so when to let her cry and when to soothe her. I really do err on the side of soothing her probably a little bit more than I need to. There have been some times like when she's trying to grab something off my plate at the dinner table where um, I know that it's not uh, a real physical need, but she just wants what I have on my plate. And so I will let her kind of fuss and cry if she is trying to get something off my plate. But even that is like frowned upon by my family members. They would rather I distract her or something rather than let her feel those emotions but I think might be a good thing to try and let her kind of feel that and let her let those things out rather than let them build up by being pushed down with distraction or whatever else 
So I just kind of went through all those seven B's from Dr. Sears because they're so different than Ryan Montessori that it's almost like silly to go through each one individually. For example, you've got, you know, breastfeeding at the first sign versus only offering the breast when you're 100% sure that they're hungry or baby worrying versus letting the baby, you know, be only in positions where they're, they can get to on their own, which means a lot of baby just kind of resting on their own. Another difference I found is that, for example, in Ryle, as I talked about earlier, the parent is going to be doing their work, whatever they need to do independently, and letting the child work independently as well. And while in Montessori, they do recommend a lot of independent playtime for babies, or work time as Montessorians would call it, um, the babies also do help with the work of the parent. So helping them to be incorporated into real life of, you know, um, helping with the dishes or helping you know, set the table, those kind of things are really important in Montessori. Whereas in Rye, I think that the mother would be recommended to do those things on their own. So she's not getting frustrated by trying to help a baby (laughs) to clear the table and those kind of things. And that the baby's actually separated and, and doing its own independent play. So as you can see there, there's lots of, uh, overlap lots of things where they do agree again those things where they do agree include no forced sharing lots of outside time lots of uh, time in a prepared and safe environment clear and consistent boundaries and rules and parents observing before intervening in child's activities so those are all really awesome things that if you're wondering and you're sort of kerfuffled by all of the various advice that you're getting. Those are some things that are really recommended amongst almost every philosophy that I've run into is recommending things like outside time. So those are things that even if you're a bit confused should definitely appeal to you because they are coming from every source that I've found. So for my friend who wants to give up because it seems like there's too many competing philosophies, let me just say that indeed there are a lot of competing philosophies But I really take it to be, you know, what is the one that connects most with your heart? What's working for your individual child? What's working for you and helping make you feel best and, you know, most supported as a parent and going ahead and making that, you know, your home base and then maybe taking on things that appeal to you from other philosophies as well. Okay, so next on the list is Stuff I Like, and the Stuff I Like for this week is the show Making the Cut, which is on Amazon Prime. I found that this week, and it's totally silly. It's a competition show about fashion designers, and my husband was making fun of me because I wear, like, Walmart jeans and uh, not very fashionable items or, like, very old items because I very rarely spend money on clothing anymore, but... In any case, I found it really entertaining. It was compelling. I wanted to um, go along, you know, with the designers and with the people who were in the show, and it was exciting, and I kind of got a bit addicted to it this week. My mother craft for this week is just going back to the gym. Gyms are opening up, and I am starting to lift weights, and that is making my back feel so much better. So that's something I've been doing. Uh, also, I was given a set of call, of what's called melt balls, uh, the melt system, which are a series of little tiny like squishy or bouncy balls that you use on your hands and feet. And I've started to use that a little bit and it's helping as well to help me feel a little bit better in my body because I am feeling pretty sore holding my newborn all the time. I guess she's not a newborn anymore. 
holding my four and five month old, four to five month old. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining me on the Meaning in Motherhood podcast. If you have any questions for me, go ahead and send me a message at Meaning in Motherhood on Instagram. I look forward to hearing from you. I will see you next week on the Meaning in Motherhood podcast.